This time of year, if I cannot be found, I won't be far. No, I'll be around. I'll be standing adjacent, it's all by design, to a bush full of lilacs. Any color's fine. This is Spectrum West. I'm Al Ross, whizzing into your day with news, views, and personalities engaged in the abundant arts, culture, and humanities of western Wisconsin. This week, there's a couple who take care of and find new homes for fish, amphibians, reptiles, and such. John Moyles is half of that couple, and he's our guest. It's been a while since we journeyed to Amory, Wisconsin, to talk about the Northern Lakes Center for the Arts. But this week, director Lemoyne McLaughlin is here. They're minding all their peas within the public painting project, turning building walls into works of art. Joellen Burke and Sylvia Hecht stopped in. And let's begin with news of a big deal coming Saturday to Menominee, Mabel's Community Celebration. Was last year's surprise a fluke, or can it become an annual? Director Lucas Chase is looking to find out. He and I talked about it. We haven't talked in a while. Last time we talked, or the last few times, you were still kind of new in the position. And I think the very first time we talked was when you were brand new in the position and you had a lot of... It was not only a a new job, it was challenging times. How have you been handling all the challenges since taking the Mabel hot seat? Well, I have to say the spring has been really excellent. It just seems like people want to get back into the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, out of all of our shows this spring, which were about 20, only one wasn't sold out. And I'm not sure that's ever happened in our 130 years. Wow. Um, so we've really seen that people just are excited to come back. Um, and, you know, we've still been juggling a few performances, um, canceling or moving. But all in all, it's kind of back to normal. Good for you. How have you been impressed with the inner workings of the Mabel Tainter, working with the board, et cetera, especially during these tough times? Well, the board has just really, um, you know, stepped up and assisted me and, and the staff here deciding which direction we want to take. You know, on the lower level here at the Mabel, we've opened a new spirit uh, cocktail mm-hmm. space, um, which were open Thursday, Friday, Saturday evenings. Um, So that was just a way for us to diversify, call it the spirit room. Um, So we have live music and cocktails and pre-show, but we're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whether we have a show or not. So that's just kind of one addition that we've made. Yeah, I want to expound on the spirit room a little later, so we'll get to that too. But uh, so a lot of what you guys had to endure was unprecedented. Right. Oh, absolutely. Working in larger uh, performance centers before, it seemed like everything was so rigid. And now after the pandemic, it seems like people have learned a degree of flexibility, which wasn't here before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, it just makes us all work on our toes a little bit. And even the patrons and the staff alike, you know, we realize that we have to be flexible with one another, yeah. um, which I don't think was there before. All right. Well, since you brought it up, let's not wait. Let's talk more about the spirit room. Physically, is it uh, the place down the stairs that people used to hang out in before a show? Yes, it is. But we've totally done a historic renovation to it. Um, we uh, had a, the room painted a historically appropriate Victorian color. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, here in the Mabel, every room has its own hand-painted stencil. Sure. Um, so we did the same thing downstairs in the in the lower level. 
spirit room. Um, we used a design from one of the old library stacks here. Um, and we had uh, Wade Libringston from uh, Vintage Designs come down and hand paint a stencil. Um, we got all new furniture that's appropriate for the time. Um, we installed a more permanent bar structure. Um, so it's really, you know, take a, a life of its own. Before it was just kind of a, almost like a church basement, I would call it. You know, just not that attractive or appealing for people to go down and hang out in. So we really tried to mm -hmm. change that around. And also to add a space for smaller events too, you know, for having 50 to 100 people mm. um, for a small performance, open mic night, Broadway karaoke, or just a small uh, piano player or duo. It's a perfect space for um, some live entertainment like that as well. Cool. Man, I got to get over there. I'm going to uh, easily expose my ignorance. What is a, what's a historic color? What color are we talking about? Sure. So the color that we picked was called in the Navy. So it's a color that was often used during the Victorian times. And Victorian times, we're talking the late 19th century here mm -hmm. in the Mabel. Um, so it was a color that, you know, they painted homes. Um, it was in the, uh, you know, the historic collection of the paint company that we went with. It's called in the Navy. Is it blue? It's a dark blue. Almost looks like a black, but yes. Ah, in the Navy. Wasn't that a uh, village people song? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. And what a great name you gave it, the Spirit Room. So does Mabel think it's for her? All three of our local friendly ghosts here. You know, just to tie in, we three. have so many questions. You yes, you know, we have, we have three of our ghosts here. We have the lady in gray, the woman in white, and then, of course, the reverend or the pastor. Oh. So each one kind of takes up their own floor of the building. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, everybody's always asking about the ghosts in the building. So tie that in along with kind of a cocktail lounge. That's how we cool. came up with the name. Well, they must be pleased having a room named after them now. I think so. Lucas Chase talking with us. He's executive director at the Mabel Tainter Center for the Arts. In Menominee, always something going on there. And this Saturday, it's a big something. It's uh, Mabel's community celebration. And you had it once, and it went so well that now you're doing it again. Is this number two? That's right, Al. You know, last year, we wanted to give a thank you to the community. It was supposed to be a one-time event. And we were expecting, you know, three to 400 people to show up. And we had over 1,200 people come to the event. So we're trying it again this year to see if it's something that the community or this area is really taking to, or to see if it was something, you know, kind of post-pandemic that people were just excited to get out. So this is kind of our second year trial run. If it goes well, we'll make it an annual event. So it is this yeah. Saturday, and it's all day, starting at 2 o'clock. And if you missed last year's event, you won't want to miss this year's. So let's go down and be somewhat specific. Beginning at 2 o'clock, you have things like an artisan market, cash bars, and food trucks. That's correct. We have five food trucks that will be opening. Um, we have 15 artist vendors here that will be in the Mabel parking lot. Um, and these vendors are typically at our Holiday Artisan Market, which is a 30-year art fair that we've had here at the Mabel. Mm. And then our cash bars will open as well. Then the live music starting at 4 o'clock. So it just gives a couple hours for people to get all set up and have the artist vendors open and people start shopping. And you have some interactive stuff for children, I see. That's correct. So the Taiko drummers out of Minneapolis, or Japanese drummers, will be here from 4 to 5. And then from 5 to 5.30, the Chippewa Valley Irish dancers will be performing and teaching, which is kind of family-friendly. Also to help close off 2nd Street, because that's one of the streets that we're closing off downtown, a fire truck from the Nominee Fire Department and a police vehicle from the police department uh, for kids to kind of look around it and learn more about community services that Menominee provides. 
couple of music shows, 6 and 8 p.m., and kind of went big time here, didn't you? Went a little bit bigger this year. Emily Menz and the show is coming back. They were our headliner last year. They'll be playing from 6 to 7.30. It's a group of eight musicians, all from the Chippewa Valley. And that's what so many people love about this group. A lot of people know these musicians, but they don't always see them playing in a larger group. Emily Menz pulls this whole group of local musicians together and does, you know, your classic covers that everybody loves to sing and dance to. Are you able to uh, name drop some of those musicians? Mike Schlanker is in there, Randy Sins, uh, Emily Menz, Sue Orfield, and a few others mixed in there oh, as yeah. well. Those are big names and very good musicians. And then at 8 o'clock... Yeah, at 8 o'clock we have our headliner, thanks to Explore Menominee and also Visit Eau Claire for helping us. We have Chris Cruzy along with his full band wow. um, at 8 to 10 p.m. And again, this is a free event. So there's no admission. The music is all free to come listen to to anyone who has the availability to. Lucas Chase talking with us. Mabel Tainter Center for the Arts. The big community celebration is this Saturday from 2 to 1030. It might not close down exactly at 1030, but I'm sure you have an agreement (laughs) with the city. That's a good idea. So um, you have some stuff coming up. Let's talk about specifics. June 21st, the Kingston Trio back. And I had a nice chat with one of the guys from the Kingston Trio when they were here last time. Those guys were my idols when I was a young dude playing in a of course in a folk group. So good for you, bringing them back. Yes, they'll be back on June 21st. Um, we don't do a lot of programming during the summer here at the Mabel. We usually focus on weddings and corporate events and rentals like that. Um, but they are renting our space here, and they're putting on a show June 21st. There's probably about 80 tickets left, so it is selling well. I would recommend on jumping on that quickly. Um, also at our community celebration this Saturday, we will be announcing our 2022-2023 season. And members who are donors of $50 or more have the opportunity for pre-sale tickets um, for our upcoming season. Yeah, I didn't have that in my notes. I'm glad you brought it up. But that's yeah. your job, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> got to push those things, right? You got to be good at that. Um <laughs> Early autumn, you have a couple of neat shows coming. Sure. 6th and 7th of September, we have a reschedule from this May, as many people know. Kathy Matea and Susie Bogus were scheduled to come, and they actually made it all the way to Menominee from Nashville. Uh, but when they got here, Kathy tested positive for COVID, and so we did have to reschedule those shows the day of. So those got moved. Um, there are a few tickets that had been returned because it was a sold-out show, so there are still some tickets available. Somebody bought tickets for May. How do they exchange them? So, They're feverishly doing that now. Correct. So it's if they had tickets for May and the new tickets work for September, they're automatically transferred, so they don't need to take any action. Their tickets will work for the September dates. Okay. okay. Um, but if they don't work, just contact us, and we can issue a refund. And uh, because we don't know what the 22-23 uh, season looks like yet, there is still one more thing we can talk about, and that's just a few days after Kathy and Susie show up. That's Leroy. That's correct. Another reschedule from the Spring Leroy Parnell, big in the bluegrass and folk and country, will be here September 10th here at the Mabel. And I know Susie and Kathy are good friends with him as well. Um, so who knows? They might stick around and support Leroy. But there are tickets still available for all three of those shows at MabelTainer.org. Anything going on in the galleries you want to talk about? We do have a quilt show happening in our gallery downstairs in the lower level, open Fridays and Saturdays, and also while the bar is open, the spirit room in the evenings on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So if anyone is interested in quilting arts, Nora Klimke from Eau Claire is the artist, and they're quite amazing, actually. Mabel Tainter wouldn't <laughs> be around for these many years if they didn't come up with good ideas. Right. 
Fun talking to you. Looking forward to the new season announcement. Hopefully we can uh, be instrumental in getting all that stuff out to people. Thank you for your time, Lucas. Have fun at the Mabel Community Celebration on Saturday, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Al. I always appreciate it. Exotic animals deserve as much attention and consideration as any other living thing. We'll talk with a guy who makes sure that that happens. Coming up on Spectrum West, plus Amory's Northern Lakes Center. And next, the three Ps. Spectrum West, I'm Al Ross. Good to be with you. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget, Friday night, Pablo Center, the Chippewa Valley Jazz Orchestra finally welcomes guest Roxy Koss on sax. After two years of postponement, pablocenter.org. Get your tickets there. You know, it's hard to miss them once finished. The Eau Claire is fast becoming known for giving nondescript exterior walls new life as colorful, creative, large murals. The public painting project, and especially growing the legion of painters involved, is the creation of Joellen Burke, artist and mentor, and Sylvia Hecht, known for her energy and innovative designs. Earlier this week, they became the first live guests to visit the WPR Eau Claire Studios in over two years. So, hey, I'm curious, how did you all hook up? Do you remember the day you went, oh, we could do something together? I had just arrived in town to paint the sanctuary mural and then was having dinner at the Lakely. Started a conversation with a local musician, Sue Horfield. She told me about Terry Myers' mural that she was going to be playing live music at, and Terry is Joanne's partner, and I attended with one of my painting assistants, and we just immediately got to chatting about everything and anything art-related, and she told me about her wonderful idea to do some mural education, do a workshop, and try to bring more people into the art form. That was last fall, and then we reconnected again in January and started dreaming Mm -hmm. (laughs) and creating a vision for this. So how did you hit it off so quickly? Did you see uh, young Joe in her, as you mentioned? Well, I would say the stars aligned a bit. I just felt this great energy that she has and youth, incredible creativity. We just connected, and I find Sylvia to be so um, forthright and easy to work with because she knows exactly what she wants. As a younger artist, I think it's so refreshing. And now the partnership we have, we seem to think alike, and yet we each bring to it a different perspective. So it's really been a pleasure. Joanne has the public arts background, so Mm -hmm. she's just bringing a huge wealth of knowledge about what art means to this community and what the community needs from the art scene. Is it safe to say you both are learning from each other? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) It's been just a joy. You know, I think we both feel, when you talk about the word murals, murals go back as far back as we can go. I think visual feelings, visual expression of symbolism and what makes a heartbeat of a culture, it goes way back. And I think we've embraced um, this idea that we need more. Clearly, we need more artists. We need more murals. And I think we will eventually connect, as you talked about with Sue Orfield, we like to combine visual art, music, Mm -hmm. literature, Um, So we hope to really be blooming. To this point, Eau Claire is somewhat known for its murals. There are a few around Mm -hmm. town and Mm -hmm. pretty stunning. This project 
is designed to take that to the next level? Is that what you had in mind? And I'm interested in how you go about getting permission for doing this. Yeah, who do you have to go in front of the city to say, well, here's what we're going to do, and uh, do you have to get whatever's going on a building approved as far as what people are going to see? So to me, I think that the significance that murals hold is kind of both strengthening the identity that a community has, but then also playing a a role in shaping what the creative identity is Mm -hmm. going to be. And so to Joe's point of like combining music and other art forms, it plays a role in the growth of the community, but also honoring who we are and what we want to say about ourselves. Going back to the Public Arts Council, when we worked with a variety of types of art, but specific to mostly visual arts, we found policies and procedures within the city. People that we've worked with are tremendous to work with. They've Mm -hmm. been very cooperative and very encouraging and really insightful about what we want to do in trying to understand how their policies might be infringing on some of that. And we might eventually be lobbying the city to Uh change some outdated things. But all in all, it's really not been difficult. There's some basic things about signage, that if you have a mural that has certain words and signage that would become advertising, it's no longer a mural, it's a sign. Mm -hmm. But it's really not too difficult. Public and private buildings are pretty much the same when it comes down to what you're painting on it. I have found that Eau Claire is generally less prohibitive than some major cities. A lot of places, there's a lot of red tape to cut through to get these sort of projects underway. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have found that Both the public and private entities that we are working with have been pretty supportive, Mm -hmm. and um, I think that that's also something that's really unique and incredible about Eau Claire is that there is also so much private support for these sort of projects. We've been working with Pablo Group on our mural workshop that we're planning, and they also contributed to the funding for the sanctuary mural that I painted in the fall. You've alluded to that a couple times. Where is that? On the side of the Firehouse Bar on Graham Street. Okay. Um, right downtown, right. right across from the Pablo Center. Yeah, and now we are fundraising for our upcoming murals and for our workshop. We've just been really blown away by the amount of community support that we're already seeing. That's the voice of Sylvia Hecht, also in the studio, Joellen Burke. We're talking about the public painting project. And we could sit here and talk philosophy and, <laughs> and mannerisms and everything forever, and I would enjoy that, but we don't have the time on this particular program. So we should get to that workshop because that is what's going to take you to that next level that we were talking about. So fill me in. Well, the foundation is really the belief that Sylvia and I came together on the need to educate and foster more artists and more art. Um, And I think there are many young creatives. At the same time, there are many businesses and personal groups that want more murals, some on their buildings. So there seemed to be a lack of, and Sylvia noticed this right away, there was a real desire for murals, but there was a lack of people to do them, mm-hmm. as her work right now could tell you. Mm-hmm. And so we um, we put this together with the idea that we will foster not only some specific knowledge and technical things about murals, but then we'll engage workshop attendees in the act of creating a mural that we'll design mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm.
And I looked at the form. It's pretty general. It asks if they have an interest in learning about mural painting, uh, what their favorites are, painting experience. And then you are looking for examples, but this is also a learning experience, so these don't have to be Rembrandt people that show up. Not by any means. We are definitely wanting it to be open and welcome to people of all different experience levels and different creative mediums, Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think that you need to be a painter or like consider yourself a Rembrandt to paint a wall. It's honestly a very, very different process than painting canvases or paper small scale things. Um, I honestly did not consider myself a painter before I started painting murals. I've always done visual arts of some form or another, but Mm. yeah, we really wanted to just open it up to a huge spectrum of people and just kind of see who's interested um, and all ages and, and backgrounds. There's definitely different skill sets within the painting process, and so we're just excited to bring a whole team together and have them collaborate both on the design of the mural and then the installation of it as well. We're really excited to be facilitating a mural that we are not directly the designers of and really excited to see mm. what participants come up with. What kind um, of restraint we have to show <laughs> for design. Yeah, yeah, but I think we just recognize that there's such a diverse range of possibilities of how the creatives in this community could work as mural artists that we want to invite people from a wide background and just learn from the experience ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get to that invitation part. The uh, instruction is June 13th, 6 to 9 p.m. Then they're going to paint a mural. They meaning what? How many are you going to pick? A bunch We're of people. We're kind of keeping that open. Plus, 15, I think, okay. is how and we much already we have, have space fifteen for. applicants. You do. So we'll have more. So what's the deadline for them to apply? End of May. End of May, and I notice they're going to be notified by the fourth of June. Yeah, mm-hmm. might even in. get it out a little sooner than that. A couple of weeks before the project starts. And this is for just the next mural, and then you're hoping to get a, a larger group of people who can take this all forward. Yeah. One aspect of this workshop and what we're planning with the Public Painting Project is to create a database of mural artists. So Mm -hmm. everyone that completes the workshop will be added to that database as well as anyone who's already created a mural in Eau Claire so that future prospective mural clients can access that and that we create kind of a framework for how these projects are facilitated in the future. And then to your point, we are planning the workshop and fundraising for that, but we have a goal of um, raising $12,000 for murals this summer, Mm. and that should be enough to create, at a minimum, another large-scale public mural on top of that. So Mm. um, hoping to do a few. Depends how much support we get. Actually, the the GoFundMe page... Terry and I had experience in developing a GoFundMe page for his mural. We just decided that independently we would put out a GoFundMe page, exceeded the goal, and thought this really should become a fund for future artists. So um, with the little bit that we had left over, we folded it into this fund. And I think um, it's been amazing to watch the support and to see people contribute not only financially but with support throughout the community. Mm -hmm. Okay, how do they apply? How do people get in on this? We created a Instagram page, um, the Public Painting Project, where we've been sharing a lot of updates about the project. We're also on Facebook at the Public Painting Project. Um, and on either of those, you can find our links both to the uh, workshop application and to the Mural Art Fund mm-hmm. and find all the information about our project. Wonderful. 
And this is just the beginning, isn't it? It sure is. We're hoping it really blossoms from here and that we have a yearly workshop or more. More live painting events Mm -hmm. um, and fundraising for outside causes potentially in the future. And like we said, just kind of building a community of artists that can become self-sustaining. Is this just a seasonal thing, or are you going to paint in winter? Well, public murals are generally exterior, so we're kind of focusing our efforts on the summer. And And I often like to escape in the winters as well and not be in the Midwest. So so. there's a selfish aspect. (laughs) I love painting murals. Baby rooms. (laughs) Yes. But that's another aspect of it. You know, where the workshop is under the umbrella of public painting, but the people who learn mural painting from us can go off and work on whatever sort of things they want, and that doesn't have to be exterior work by any Mm. means. Well, thanks for your work on this, and uh, good luck with it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Al. Yet to come on Spectrum West, exotic animals looking for and finding new homes, thanks to a guy named John Moyles. We'll meet him a bit later. But first, another Spectrum Memo, Saturday, Owen Park, Eau Claire. It's an evening of jazz featuring the Memorial High School Jazz Bands. If it rains, it'll be in the school's auditorium. Can't wait. Hey, did you know a true Renaissance man resides in Amory, Wisconsin? Better yet, he shares what he knows and values at a place he co-directs with his wife, Mary Ellen, the Northern Lakes Center for the Arts. Let's talk with Lemoyne McLaughlin. I talk pandemic with literally every venue. I am curious how much of a tectonic shift, I had to look that up, by the way, I knew the term, I just wanted to make sure that it was <laughs> correct, may have occurred in how you operate. Obviously, it's it's affected how you've operated in the last couple of years. COVID has shrunk what we have done in the past, but it's not really COVID as much as some other things that went on around the Amory area. What happened about six months ago, four or six months before that, the the main drag going through town was shut down for revision. And I mean shut down. Wow. Essentially, you had to drive around town. And people ended up staying in their homes. So now we're back again to getting people out of their homes and coming to visit us and do things. Does that mean that it was like new road, new sewers, new everything? What was going on? Yeah, pretty much all of the above. Hmm. And it's really nice now that it's done. But it really shut people down really shut people down. COVID was nothing by comparison. (laughs) You got double whammied. Really? And everything works? Your water works? Yeah, everything's fine that way. Oh, good. Well, you know, infrastructure is important. Yeah. And you got infrastructured. That's a verb. We did. We Uh, did. Prior to that, the pandemic, how did uh, the Northern Lake Center for the Arts handle that in March of 2020? What happened to you guys? March and April kind of continued going on but then come May in the summer, things really shut down. I shouldn't say that completely because we still do have students in the School of the Arts and we still do have uh, performances. But things like the uh, Northern Lakes Chamber Orchestra, that was much more difficult to continue rehearsing Theater Guild the same way. 
And I know that in prior conversations that you and I have had, the uh, Northern Lakes Center has had the luxury of being comfortable, solvent. Uh, yes, yeah, good point, good point. Good stature in the community. Yeah. And... All of those problems that we've had over the last two years have not done anything to close the mm-hmm. Center for the Arts because we are debt-free. We don't owe anything on the building. We we keep it heated and lighted, and we don't need thousands and thousands of dollars to make that happen. That's Lemoyne McLaughlin, and we're talking about the Northern Lakes Center for the Arts because we have not spoken in quite a while. Established in 1989, this is from the website, as a comprehensive cultural center organized and designed to provide local residents with the opportunity to develop and share their creative talents and abilities with one another and with the general public. That just hit me as I read that. Share their creative talents and abilities with one another. That's what hit me. As much as the Northern Lake Center is is a place for performances, etc., it's also equally important as just a place to congregate and share. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good for you. Right. So let's talk about some things that are coming up this summer. You have, according to your website, a historical artwork exhibit. Yes. As you dated us, we've been exhibiting local art for at least 30 years. What we've done in the past, we don't take a percentage of art sales. Instead, what we do is we ask the artists to donate a piece of their artwork to our permanent collection so that we can re-exhibit it. There you go. And that's what this exhibit is, an exhibit of artwork, I guess, that we have exhibited in the past, but not for 25 years, probably. Oh, really? It, it gets to show itself again. Regional people? Yes, good point. It's really not locally Amory. It is regionally in Polk County and probably north of Eau Claire. So that exhibit is opening uh, early June. Later on in June, you're well known for the annual Rural Arts Forum. Yes, that's really under the leadership of Ann Katz down in Madison. With a new name, by the way. We had her With on a last name. week. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Tell people a little bit more about the Rural Arts Forum. We've actually done this, I think, for more than 30 years. We um, invite people from throughout northwestern Wisconsin, people who are involved in the arts, theater people to musicians to visual artists, anybody involved in the arts at all comes. And we share what we're doing and what has worked. And then we also have people like Ann Katz and George Zugros come and visit us and talk about what they're doing, too. And you have to think the friendships and familiarities that are formed during all these years of your arts forum had to play a real positive role in how people communicated when, again, the last two years have been weird for the arts. People were friends, and they were able to compare notes, and things like this helped people, and it's designed to help people through. That's right. Well, and it's not just compare notes. It's shake hands and hug Mm. uh, when that needed to be done. Except during a pandemic. Yeah, Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that that continues because I was able to uh, attend once early on in my uh, Mm -hmm. Spectrum Mm -hmm. West gig here, and it was a lot of fun to meet all those people. Come July, you're taking the stage. Right, right. I've published five books of poetry and one book of prose, and (laughs) it's been quite a while since I've had a public reading. But that's what we're going to do um, mm-hmm. in July. July 16th is the date that I saw. That's right? it, yeah. Evening yes. of Original Poetry, read by the one and only LeMoyne McLaughlin. This is uh, 
a poem that I'll be reading um, at our reading in July. It's called Wind Riders. If you row from the dock at noon, and I at half past three, I hope that when you beach your boat, you'll turn to wait for me. And if I push off after one, while you stay until four, I'll wave and guide you through the mist and greet you on the shore. We'll laugh until tears fill our eyes as time and space rescind. Then, holding one another close, we'll ride upon the wind. What, what's, what's the background of that? How were you feeling um, the day you wrote that? that? That's a good question. I think that there are two elements to writing, well, to be involved in the arts, especially writing poetry. One is you've got to understand something about music, because I think poetry is basically musical. And secondly, you've got to understand something about magic. I think music and magic are the two elements of poetry. And you can't always explain the magic part. (laughs) That's my point. (laughs) It happens, and I can't always tell you exactly where it comes from. And maybe you don't want to know. It gets to be curious, though, at times. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. But it doesn't pay to overanalyze yeah, things no, like that. No, that's right. It's just yeah. it's wonderful stuff. That's right. Then come August. Well, you have a recital coming up. You earlier mentioned the Northern yeah. Lake School for the Arts. Right. What we do periodically at the end of each semester and the end of the summer is have a student recital where they get a chance to share what they are learning and, mm-hmm. and what they can play. And, you know, the performance is as important an activity as anything that the student ends up with. There's a photograph on your website of you playing the guitar with a young person. Uh, who who are your instructors and what can young people learn there? Right now, the only instructors are Mary Ellen, my wife, and myself. For over 30 years, she has done beginning piano instruction. I mean, we've had hundreds and hundreds of students. She would take two-thirds of those as beginning students, and then I would take the remainder as advanced students and as guitar and violin students. Our students also participate in the school music association's contests and public performances. This year, in guitar performances, all of the schools between Superior and Eau Claire and Hudson, there were two guitar students. One of them was ours, and she got the highest ranking and went to state and got a first ranking there also. Is it true that you taught Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones? No? Okay. That's been a secret. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it was not. Ah, But the other thing I want to say is, um, although COVID has limited the number of students, the students who have remained with it are really excellent students and excellent performers. We have a student who's going to be a senior at Amory performing Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Now, frequently, that means we hear this slow movement. She's doing all three movements. And even professionally, that third movement takes about half an hour to perform. And she's working on that. She'll be ready to perform it next year. You know, we had a local business buy a piano for the center 
they paid for half of it. Mm-hmm. We got contributors in the community to come up with the other half. Hmm. A grand piano. But that piano is the nicest piano in our area, and the students perform on it. The other thing that's always been uh, impressive about your uh, organization is everything one can attend at uh, the Northern Lakes Center is extremely affordable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Nothing over five bucks for adults, children for a dollar. You still have season tickets available for, for things? Yes, we do, yeah. People can get all the details they need online at northernlakescenter.org. Lemoyne, nice to reconnect, and uh, I hope we talk more often in the future and no more pandemics and no more street fixing up. That's all in the rearview mirror. Keep in touch. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you, Al. We'll be in touch. Rescuing animals who don't normally get the courtesy. Next on Spectrum West. Spectrum West on Wisconsin Public Radio. My name is Al Ross. Good to have you along. Remember, Monday evening, it's the special I Won't Forget Memories and Music concert at Pablo Center featuring the Luther College Nordic Choir and the Stand in the Light Memory Choir. Talked about it last week. All begins at 6.30. It's free, but tickets are required. So get yours. JNR Aquatic Animal Rescue is in Menasha, Wisconsin, a couple and a half plus hours to the southeast of where most of us are sitting at the moment. But the J of JNR, John Moyles, reaches out all over Wisconsin and beyond when the welfare of animals is at stake. He delivers presentations like the one he did at Beaver Creek Reserve north of Fall Creek in March. We spoke a couple days ago and I began with a curiosity about his experience and how it all began. Way back in uh, 2016, I started working with UWC Grant doing these exotic pet surrender events when I was the president of the Green Bay Aquarium Society because there's really no place to drop off your unwanted fish. There's no pound for fish. So we started doing these events, partnering with other organizations that could take like reptiles and birds and small animals. And they kind of grew and morphed into this year. I think we've got like one event a month all over the state. Next month, I have two of them. I'm going to be in Waupon and La Crosse. So we've got a lot of them coming because there's really nobody around that does what we do, taking in fish. So it's nice that we're able to go to these areas that are maybe underserved, get in there and help people and help pets out. How do you go about setting these things up? I work closely with the DNR and also with like uh, Wisconsin Lakes Partnership. So next month, I'll be sending out emails, uh, booking for 2023 local environmental groups, you know, if you're interested in hosting an event, I'll run it. Um, I just need you to do a little bit of work on the ground, like hanging up flyers at gas stations and things like that. So far, that's worked out pretty good. So you mentioned your background with uh, UWC Grant and Water Resource Institutes and those kinds of people. I am curious, though, about what other kind of prior background you may have had that caused doing this to be a natural thing. Was it the fact that you, through the course of a day and being involved with uh, the Sea Grant people, uh, noticed there was uh, an absence of this kind of thing? I, for one, don't know of anybody who has exotic fish that they have to find a new home for, but uh, obviously the need is out there. Yes, I've been working in the pet industry since 1996. My educational background is in natural resources and where those two lines intersect are invasive species. The inspiration came from programs they run down in Florida. Down there, invasive species are everywhere. Florida Fish and Wildlife holds these amnesty days 
where you can drop off your unwanted pets. You use the word amnesty oh, yeah. because it's not legal to have them? In some cases, especially down in Florida, they have laws concerning large constrictor snakes like boas and pythons, oh, yeah. and also lizards like iguanas and uh, a, a lizard called the tegu. So I took inspiration from these events and kind of brought them to Wisconsin. And it started off with us just taking fish mm-hmm. and people being people mm-hmm. uh, are not the greatest at uh, following directions. So the first event we ever had, we were taking fish and I had a guy taking snakes and somebody dropped off two cats. So we kind of like grew and like I started inviting other organizations to come. So like right now we work with the Reptile Rescue of Wisconsin, Archie's Angels, Roseberry Bird Rescue, K&R Small Animal Sanctuary, uh, Fox Valley Ferret Shelter, uh, and other organizations. We all come together. And uh, if you've got a pet that you can't take care of, it doesn't really matter what it is. Um, you can drop it off at one of these events and we'll help. The only thing we really don't deal with is domestic animals, dogs, cats, rabbits, and farm animals like chickens, horses, pigs, goats, because your local humane society, they'll work with, with those type of animals, mm-hmm. and we work with the animals that are harder to work with. That's the voice of John Moyles. He is a co-proprietor of J&R Aquatic Animal Rescue. They had an event at Beaver Creek Reserve over here in western Wisconsin in March, and that's what caught my attention. I thought to myself, I just have to talk to this guy. The name of the enterprise contains the word aquatic, but you're able to do more than that. For example, I was on your website over the weekend, and I noticed a picture of a guy named Francis. Yeah. That's kind of a rare thing. Tell our audience about him. Yeah, Francis is a uh, giant Malaysian turtle. His former owners were super into turtles, and people get older. His primary caretaker passed away in 2020, and then the father of the family, he passed away uh, like a week before we got Francis. We're one of the only rescues in the state that that handles turtles, so they, they, they contacted us, and we were able to take Francis and uh, two alligator snapping turtles. When you say giant, how big is giant? His carapace, his top shell is about 18 inches long, and he weighs about 25 pounds. Okay, yeah, that's that's a big turtle. Yeah, so he's pretty big. Mm -hmm. They're so rare that when I tried to look for information on them, I couldn't find a single person that was keeping them. I couldn't even find them for sale on Google. So I had to reach out to zoos and like the Turtle Survival Alliance just to get some care tips on like how how to make sure he's happy and healthy. Sure. You do hear about big turtles living a long time. It sounds like he's outliving his caretakers every once in a while. And he's only about 10 to 15 years old, so he's got a a good 60 more years left in him, so he'll he'll outlive me. Your website also has photographs of things like uh, sliders and Jack Dempsey's, which for my audience I should explain is a fish. If all of you out there know that, then I'm just stupid because I've never heard of Jack Dempsey's. Yeah, they're named after the boxer. I'm old enough to know who he is, but I don't know why the the fish (laughs) would be named. Does the fish have a face that looks like it's been beat up a few times or what? They have a really big jaw, Uh, and they're kind of mean. Oh, mean. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of aggressive. (laughs) The glass catfish are kind of cool. Yeah, they're they're completely clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're really neat fish. Yeah, no facades for those guys. Right. <laughs> you mentioned the alligator snapper. You had uh, a handful of snails on the website, a bearded dragon. Yep, we take lizards and small animals and stuff like that. We try to work with re- rescues that specialize in these things. 
but sometimes they stay here until they're adopted as well. So we have like leopard geckos and we have a couple of snakes right now mm -hmm. that are uh, still uh, in quarantine. We hold everything for two weeks to make sure it's healthy and accurately judge its temperament before we allow it to be adopted. We get a lot of stuff in. We know that a lot of places are regulated. How are you regulated? So we follow all state and city ordinances. We're also USDA inspected. We have an attending vet that stops by at random and makes sure everything's taken care of and healthy. In Francis's case, you couldn't find information and you had to figure out how to take care of him and what to feed him, etc. If they need something that's a little weird and doesn't grow in Wisconsin, how do you get the food they need? Most of the things that we get in are pets. They've been habituated to captivity. So like I said, Francis was like 10, 15 years old. So he's been in captivity for 10 or 15 years, uh, captive born. You know, I haven't really had to struggle too much with finding like exotic foods. <laughs> um, and then again, like my, you know, almost 30 years of pet experience, there isn't a whole lot that I haven't seen, but Francis was one of those things. Actually, Florida Fish and Wildlife reached out. Um, they are starting a new program because in Florida, certain animals are illegal to keep without a permit. Mm -hmm. So like iguanas and tegus, which are a type of lizard, um, are illegal in Florida um, without a permit. But uh, owners, when this law passed, were grandfathered in. They just can't get rid of them, mm -hmm. transfer ownership to anybody else, unless that other person has a permit. So their rescues in Florida are like full up and they don't want to take anymore because nobody wants to get these permits. So they're shipping them to us. And then we're going to find homes for them because you don't need a permit in Wisconsin to have an animal like that. Uh -huh. So tomorrow we're actually getting our first lizard in from Florida through this program. Um, so it's kind of like a test program to, to get uh, lizards out of Florida. And how are they shipped? Air cargo. So they'll be loaded onto a plane from Orlando to Milwaukee. We'll give people your uh, website and people can contact you because you do presentations on invasive species and all that stuff. For sure. Good for you. So now most of us are familiar with our usual animal shelters. Cities and towns in Wisconsin and all over have them. Thank goodness for that. So we know what those physical plants look like. They uh, try to make the residents comfortable. They have runs and they have things like that. I'm awfully curious what the J&R physical plant looks like and what do you need to have? I mean, does Francis need exercise or does anybody need exercise? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, we're 100% run out of my home. Home. We're looking to open an adoption center so we can be open to the public, hopefully within the next few months. But uh, when I started JNR Aquatic Animal Rescue, I had a pretty good idea, so I thought, what I would need to run this. And I started off with about 20 aquariums, and within six months, I was up to 60. Uh, <laughs> we're running out of my house right now, and our fish tanks range anywhere from five and a half gallons to 180 gallons. Francis is in a 150-gallon tank right now. Because when we got him, we were told that he was potentially not a good swimmer. <laughs> and I also have to put um, lotion on his shell every day. So I have a uh, tank that's about twice the size. So I want to make sure that he's going to be healthy enough to go into some deeper water. A turtle who can't swim and needs lotion. Yeah. 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 He, well, that's okay. And, he, <laughs> and he's unique. I'm still trying to imagine, what do you have? Just a separate room or do you have a garage? You got a shed? What do, what do you oh, do with it? The basement. So, in the uh, basement. So I, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of nice because they're all in one area, you know, like one room in my basement. Hmm. And I've got floor drains and sink down there. So I'm not like lugging buckets to change water. I mean, uh, my water bill is pretty high. <laughs> 
(laughs) They don't mind just city water. You don't have to lug in any pond water. Correct. Yeah. There's chemicals that that detoxify heavy metals and chlorine Mm. that I use to make make the water safe for fish and turtles. But yeah, they're pretty tolerant, you know, of our water here in Menasha. You very obviously know what you're doing. Good for you and good for the animals. I I have to thank you for doing this because I've got a soft spot in my heart for any kind of animal. And you were smart enough and kind enough to recognize there was something missing. And you decided to uh, do something about it. J&R Aquatic Animal Rescue, it's called. What's the website? It's www.jraar.org. And you can also follow us on all of the social medias. What if people say, you know, John's doing a great job, and Rosa? Yeah, she's the R. She's right. the R in J&R, Aquatic Animal Rescue. I get yeah, it. Yeah, so uh, she's great. She's a saint because she lets me do this out of the house. No kidding. She's a real saint there. <laughs> so everybody out there, a lot of us are saying he's a good guy, and he's doing a necessary job on our behalf. Is there a way to donate to your enterprise? We're a 501c3 charitable organization. Um, You can donate to us right on our website through PayPal. Um, You could always send a check or money order, or we're always running Facebook fundraisers. So that's three different ways that you can contribute. Wonderful. Again, folks, it's J&R Aquatic Animal Rescue. More than aquatic, though. That's just in their name. They have spread out because they need to spread out. John, thanks again. You're doing a necessary uh, work for all of us. It's interesting talking to you. I hope to talk to you again, and I hope to watch you grow. Thank you so much. Again, the website is jraar.org. Some memos to tell you about next Wednesday. The local store in Volume 1 presents Off the Page with Max Garland and Samantha Cobes. That should be fun. The Chippewa Valley Theater Guild and WEAU 13 News invite you to the 11th Annual Fairy Tale Ball Supporting Arts for Kids. The event begins at 6 p.m. Friday at Florian Gardens. Kids are encouraged to dress up as their favorite fairy tale or Disney character. There you go. Young performers enrolled in Old Gem Theater classes are working on Charlotte's Web, and they'll be performing in schools and for the public. Now through May 27th, the Old Gem in New Richmond. Schedules on the website oldgemtheater.com. And the Red Barn Theater in Rice Lake is rehearsing the play Above Board for performances. Those run June 1st through the 11th. Well, let's see. Next week, more chances to hit the road on spring art tours, and a special guest is working on being available. We'll see how that works out. Either way, it'll be another in-depth look in the mirror for an audience in a region who value the arts and the value they provide. And I'm the lucky guy who gets to hold the mirror. Thanks to Rick and Kate for the plugs, and thank you all for hanging with us. You can catch an archived version of this show and all shows at WPR.org, or there are some podcasts floating around out there. I'm Al Ross. Thanks. See you next week.